Hi, my name is Molly Schulte Tucker, and I have the privilege of pastoring the good people of Ridgewood Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. January of 2023, we are embarking on a journey through the Psalms with all my heart. The Psalms express every human emotion to God, from anger to joy, from resentment to acceptance. The poetry and prose and prayers show us that the psalmist didn't quite have God figured out either, but continued to pray and praise and trust. In this series on the Psalms, we'll talk about the beauty of these scriptures and where we might find the musings of our own hearts echoed. Here is January 15th, where we explored Psalm 27, Our Light and Our Salvation. Naming who God is to us. I am really excited to begin a series on the Psalms, which the subtitle could be about prayers, the subtitle could be about praise, the subtitle could be about worship. Because we find all of those things in the book of Psalms. But instead, our subtitle of this series is With All My Heart. Because the Psalms lay bare to us every emotion we have before God. The Psalms express anger towards God. They express gratitude towards God. They talk about God's goodness, and they also talk about God's vengeance and everything in between. So over the course of the next five weeks or so, we will delve into the book of Psalms. Beginning today with maybe a little uh, overarching view, if you will, The book of Psalms, at a glance, is about 150 books. Now, if you you dived a little bit further in there, you would know that in some translations, there are some that are put into one chapter, some are broken up, there's some discrepancy on, are some pieced together that shouldn't be pieced. There is about 150 Psalms in the book of Psalms. We believe that these prayers or um, these litanies that were used in early worship were collected and put together about 400 BCE. They were written sometime before that, as, as early as some say 1600, but we like to think sometime in the 600 year range between 1400 and 800 BCE. So we are in our worship today already twice. We are reading psalms and liturgies that have been read for thousands of years. <laughs> thousands. We join in this choir that spans millennia. How beautiful is that? In the Psalms, you will find poetry. 
You will also find prose. You will also find narrative. But you will also see, since it was written over the course of 600 years, that a lot of that poetry and its form and its essence was evolving, was changing. So you'll see some movement uh, in the Psalms of how those were actually composed. Think about our literature 600 years ago. It read a little bit different than what is being produced in 2022. So think about that in the Psalms as well. But remember when we talk about poetry, Psalms don't rhyme, but that's because we are not reading them in their original language. We are not reading them with their original emphases. Remember, these were probably first written down in Hebrew. And if, if there are any Hebrew scholars in the house, and there is one, uh, you will know that um, Hebrew is kind of a musical language in itself. Um, it's a little bit more complicated than Greek. It's a musical language in itself. Um, and that is what we translate our English version of the Psalms from. So if you don't see those rhyming couplets, it's because we're a few degrees away from the original. There are some genres of psalms. I won't go into each one of these, but just so you know, there's supplication. Uh, today, Psalm 27 is technically, and part of it is a psalm of supplication. There are psalms that actually take on several forms within one chapter, so um, it can get complicated. Supplication, thanksgiving, wisdom, royal psalms, historical psalms, psalms of Zion, and psalms of praise. Robert Alter is um, a professor of religion at UC Berkeley and has been at Harvard. He says this, The psalm was a multifaceted poetic form serving many different purposes, some cultic and others not. Don't think cultic in the way that we think of cults today, but just different religious practices. And the psalm played a vital role in the life of, here's the key, the Israelite community and of individuals within that community throughout the biblical period. You may or may not realize this, but a lot of the times when the children read uh, the call to worship here on Sunday, they are reading a version of a psalm. We follow what's called the lectionary. So if you go out to, to lunch with the Presbyterians and they tell you that they read the same scripture in church, it's not lucky. Uh, we all follow uh, the lectionary most of the time, which means we are studying the same scriptures um, as many other churches in the world. Not every church follows it, but it allows us to get a good grasp of the totality of scripture. Um, in the lectionary, each week, there is a psalm that is listed. Um, actually, Psalm 27, which we read today, is technically next week. So I flipped these two. So I got a little off course when you go out to lunch with your Episcopal friends today. Um, but usually when the children read it for the call to worship, that is a version of that psalm. You may notice that it is a liturgical, um, sometimes simplified, but still beautiful version of the psalm that we are assigned for the day. We read them in communal worship. We speak those words together. But there's also beauty when we're at home, alone, reading a psalm as a prayer or maybe a moment 
of praise. They are a both and. There is an importance of uh, both individual and community faith. But these are three parts of a psalm that Walter Brueggemann told us about. They are the orientation, the disorientation, and the reorientation of the psalms. Meaning, although we have several kinds of psalms, in each one, to us, there is an orientation to God. Then the psalmist writes about the disorientation they have to the world. But before the psalm ends, there is a reorientation. Many times coming back to who they know or remember God to be to them. The orientation, the disorientation, and the reorientation. So today we're going to focus on the orientation moment of the Psalms. In Psalm 27, today Eileen read for us, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, if you were sitting down to pray, I'm going to need some participation here. If you were sitting down to pray, and these were the first words that you said in your prayer, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Did you just come from a cupcake with, from a picnic with cupcakes? What do you imagine... You, there's no wrong answers. What do you imagine is going on in this writer's life before this was their orientation to God? What is going on in the life of the writer? What do you think? Battle. Doubt. Accusation. Struggle. Fear. We tend to get in these pits where when we come to God, we use the same words over and over and over. And sometimes there is beauty in that familiarity when we pray. There's beauty as we pray the Lord's Prayer together. But sometimes when we come to God, we come with words that seem like We've been eating cupcakes at a picnic when really the weight that we're feeling is the struggle, is the war, is the battle, is the accusation. So why don't our words reflect that in prayer? Who is God to you? Not always, but right now. I don't know what you walked in with at 11 a.m. this morning. You don't have to answer out loud. <laughs> who is God to you right this moment? Or who do you need God to be? Or who do you believe God to be? 
do you believe is the God you're praying to this morning? Who do you believe is the God you're worshiping this morning? And or, what is it you're praying for? Are you praying for a bigger paycheck or a larger home? And does that mean maybe we view God as some kind of cosmic genie? Are you praying for patience or understanding from God? Does that mean you trust God will provide you with a situation or people around you to strengthen those traits? Do you pray to win or be right? Y'all UK fan, your, your prayers went up uh, pretty well yesterday. Do you pray to be right? Does that mean we believe in a God who favors us as opposed to others? See, our prayers, what we pray, who we believe God to be to us, it directly reflects what we believe about God. There's a long continuum of how humans believe that God is involved in our daily lives. For some, God is non-existent, or belief in God is too riddled in doubt or church to move further into religion. For some, God exists but is far, far away from this world. For some, God is closer at times than others. For some, the spirit of God is alive and at work and always moving and creating among us. And we practice free will, which is a gift from God. And for some, God has already predestined everything as it happens, meaning our lives were scripted long before we even got here or born into the world. And so you may fall into one of these camps or you may sit somewhere between all of them. But there's importance in exploring who we believe God to be and how we expect God to act in the world. A few weeks ago, my husband and I took a trip to Florida to see uh, Rob's family. And uh, we stayed at a place uh, in Hudson, Florida, which is on a canal. I'm trying to click my clicky thing and it's not clicking. Is it clicking now? Okay, that's all right. Um, this is Cooper on a canal coloring in his coloring book. Um, I didn't really want to give you this. I've, I mean, I did want to give you this picture of Cooper, but I mainly wanted you to see the canal behind it. So it's a, just a small waterway where people might have their boats uh, or their jet skis or whatever, all these things that people have on water that we don't have here. Um, but in the canal, you can also fish. And we are on the west coast of Florida. This is the fish that you would find in this canal at Hudson Beach, Florida. It's, what'd you say, Wayne? It's good eating fish. This is mullet, which is very ironic that 
a Florida fish is called mullet because you can find both of those kinds of things in Florida, both the hairdo and the fish in Florida. It's a special, special place. So Rob and I like to go fishing. Oh, and I have some, I have a Floridian in the house today, so it is a special place though. Um, Rob and I like to go fishing, but we both believe in different kinds of bait. Now, my fishing experience is very, very limited to my Florida-born, Florida-raised husband. Um, and since I only lived there for a little over two years and now visit for a couple weeks a year, I think that my expert opinion outweighs his. Um, but Rob believes in this kind of bait. Rob believes, you know what this is called? It goes by different names. Spoon, spinner, spoon, spinner. He calls this a spoon bait, right? His spoon. Um, this is supposed to imitate a little fish in the water, right? So the, the bigger fish come and eat it. So you're going for a mullet-sized fish, so to speak. So um, he starts fishing off of the canal. He's using a little spinner, spoon fish. He catches nothing. And I said, Rob, that's because you're not using the right kind of bait, obviously. So I go up the, store, up the street to the little shack, and I get this kind of bait, live shrimp bait. You don't want to eat this shrimp, but this is what shrimp look like before they form into a little ring around cocktail sauce. Um, but this is what I also like to put on a hook, and I believe in shrimp, okay? I believe in real shrimp because I think... I don't know this, but I haven't been disproven yet. I think fish have nostrils, kind of, and they can sense when you've got the shrimp juice in the water. Am I grossing anyone out? I'm really sorry. So this kind of shrimp is going to catch the mullet. So I fish, and I fish, and I fish. The night before we leave, we invite Rob's family over to, we're staying at this Airbnb, and his Uncle Tim lives just a few streets over on a canal as well. And so Rob starts telling his Uncle Tim, who is a much better fisher, uh, fisherman than, than we are, that we have not caught any fish. And the ironic part is you can see the fish in the water. Like You can see the fish swimming. It's not like they are not there. You can see the fish. Here, Alice, I've got a, another picture. You can see these in the water, okay? Uncle Tim comes over um, Thursday night, is, is talking to us about fishing, and, and we said, you know, we tried the spoon bait, it didn't work. And I said, you know, I really tried the shrimp, I thought that was going to work. And he said, well, you know mullet are vegetarian, right? <laughs> and we said, no, we didn't know that. <laughs> Cooper is, at the time, eating green beans and corn, and he said, you have a better chance of catching a mullet with Cooper's plate right now than anything you've put in the water thus far. Kind of like going fishing. It's important to know the waters that you're casting into as you pray. It's important to know what we believe about God because that is who we name God to be. In this worship series, we are going to have some responses at the end um, or in the middle of the service in the coming weeks. 
this morning, I'm going to invite you up to the response during our final song. Pat Hunsucker has created a piece of art for us. And on this piece of art this week, there are a bunch of hearts that have a bunch of different names for God. On the back, there are different pieces of Psalm 27. Some of you will have the same. Some of you will have different pieces of the psalm you've read today. But I encourage you to come up during this final song, grab one of these response cards, and take it with you this week. Pick the name that you need for God. If there's not one, take one, scratch it off, write the name that you need for God today. I invite you to come, name who God is for you. Orient yourself to the God of the universe.